My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little bit of money. My job is not just to entertain, but to explain and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What a sedate end to an exciting week. Dow inching up 62 points today. S&P advancing 0.03%. NASDAQ dipping 0.28%. Let's face it, though. Today may have been placid, but we experienced a phenomenon this week. A company recently unknown to many others than show watchers like you, NVIDIA, not only trounced the estimates, it electrified the entire stock market. I have to tell you, I've never, ever seen in my life anything like the rise, this rise in the history of the market. Even as I said endlessly, own NVIDIA, do not trade it. What a dream come true. Why did we get so excited about this chip maker? I mean, that's all it is, really, in the end? No, no. See, there was an oddly and justifiably biblical quality to NVIDIA's descent, ascent. It's biblical. See, the few other companies with trillionaire market capitalizations, they're all well-known, right? Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Meta. See, they're the Goliaths of this market. NVIDIA's rise felt like David with his slingshot. The slingshot of artificial intelligence propelling this stock to the $2 trillion mark. Sure, the numbers were incredible. NVIDIA's reported bigger upside surprises before without generating this kind of pin action for the entire market. This time, though, management made it clear that the AI revolution is just getting started. Normally, when a semiconductor company reports a huge number like this, here's what happens. You get a ton of hand-wringing about how we must be at the top because the numbers are unsustainable. Didn't happen to NVIDIA this time. That conference call made people realize that this story may still be maybe in its early innings as CEO Jensen Wong has a multi-year plan to dominate the industry with the best graphics cards. They're really semis. I don't know. I like to call them graphics cards in the world. We don't see this often in the stock market. See, there's genuine wonderment here. That's the word, wonderment. If NVIDIA is right, then there's a lot of positive changes coming as the whole multi-trillion dollar tech orb gets a high-speed GPU makeover. NVIDIA's cards are 20 times faster than traditional CPUs. They generate far less heat, meaning these things are a great investment if you run a data center. The return on investment is spectacular. It's almost impossible to make too much of NVIDIA's ascent, but other sectors rock too, notably housing, retail, and banks. It was a very positive week. But can it continue? I mean, come on. That's the only question, right, that matters. Because Wall Street's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of place. So let's just go to the game plan, take a look at next week. All right. But long before Jensen Wong, there was another legendary wealth creator. His name was Warren Buffett. His storied company, Berkshire Hathaway, reports this weekend. We'll be parsing over it, trying to guess what he'll buy, which, by the way, is a totally futile endeavor, but it never gets old. On Monday, we hear from Domino's Pizza. Now, ever since Russell Wiener became CEO, Russell has just, I think he's brought a sense of magic back to the king of pizza. And, and you know what? I think he, he's reclaimed the title. It's going to be one of the greatest performers in the business if he does. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if the market laps up this quarter. Because Russell's a really good operator. After the close, Workday reports. Now, how about this one? 
This software is a service company for human capital management and finance is quietly broken out of the pack. It now stands solidly with Salesforce and ServiceNow as platform companies. Work they periodically used to break, just blow up. I mean, meaning sometimes it failed to deliver the big upside surprise the bulls were hoping for. But that seems to have become a thing of the past. Oh, Workday's just become masterful. Now, we got a remarkable guidance hike from Royal Caribbean this week. So the question is, can Norwegian cruise lines follow when it reports on Tuesday? I, I don't think it'll be as good. Uh, but you know what? It still might be worth a trade if you come in on Monday. Now, uh, how about Lowe's? Interesting dynamic here. Home Depot reported this weekend. It was widely panned at the time. But then buyers came right back to it, as I knew they would. That's kind of like McDonald's. These two companies, they don't trade so together. But, you know, they, they get hit. Then they come right back. I mean, the despot did say uh, how do-it-yourself remodelers were pretty active, which is fantastic news for Lowe's because that's more DIY. Buyers are taking the stock up with a few bucks and 50 to be high in response. But you know what? I think they can take out that ceiling. We also get results from Macy's, and we need to hear what they're going to do to fend off this actor's firm called Arc House, which wants board representation. They just bumped their dividend 5%, but I don't think that's going to do it. The numbers will have to do the talking. Then there's the one solar panel company that's actually making money, and that's First Solar. I like this one, even after Solar Edge blew up this week, because First Solar has been focused more on the commercial side of the industry rather than the residential side, which is much more reliant on financing. It's looking good here for a trade. Now, one of the most unfortunate aspects of earnings season is that companies have their own styles. Not everybody gets them. TJX is one of these. It tends to be non-promotional with headline numbers that don't tell the full story. Yet people trade it like it's crazy off the initial news coverage. Please, please listen before you act on this one. TJX often gives you great buying opportunities because the stock regularly gets hit on good results after surging at the beginning. If you don't own it already, don't buy it. Just wait for a better entry point because it's because what's going to happen Wednesday morning is too crazy. I'll be there for you at nine, but already it'll probably be too late. And also, after the close, two of my favorite companies report, Longtime Charitable Trust holding Salesforce and the terrific Snowflake, which I'd be happy to own for the trust if we only didn't have so many tech stocks already. Now, there have been three successive positive analyst reports out this week about Salesforce. And if I were at my old hedge fund, which I'm sincerely not, that was 24 years ago, these big, these big uh, pieces of research that were so bullish, they would make me nervous because the stock might come in too hot. But even if it disappoints, I bet the stock will be met with buyers by Friday if it sells off uh, Wednesday. And so I'm not sweating the program. How about this snowflake? Very expensive, less seasoned, but CEO Frank Slubin has created a company that allows you to rent the cloud and find out if you need all that high-power, expensive AI stuff. It's a fantastic value proposition. I'm expecting a good quarter from Frank Slootman and Snowflake. The Fed cares a great deal about a number that comes out Thursday. It's called the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index. I think this inflation reading will sow confusion because it'll be on the hot side. I've been adamant the economy is generating way too much heat to see any meaningful price declines, which will delay any rate cuts until who knows the fall. I don't know anyone else on TV who's as negative as I am about the about potential rate cuts, but I think PCE will vindicate my vision. Earnings, Best Buy reports Thursday morning. Needless said that this quarter may not be that good, but if you listen to Nvidia's Jensen Wong earlier this week, you know we got a new PC cycle coming and people go to Best Buy to get those AI-enabled machines. I'm looking for the right time to buy this one, maybe after this quarter. Next, we hear from one of the most consistent and cybersecurity operators in a group that's been jarred by disappointment. I'm talking about Zscaler, which is all about identity management. They've been pleased in the street for ages. I think they're going to do it again. Uh, maybe buy some calls deep in the money. I rarely recommend that strategy.
strategy, but I think it'll probably work for them. Finally, late last year, I was adamant that you must buy GE Healthcare, the gigantic then underperforming stock, because I heard that Radnet, a company that administers MRIs, was a size buyer of GEHC machines. We own GE Healthcare for the Chapel Trust. Since since that, Radnet appears it's tacked on 20 bucks. I'll talk about it tomorrow's annual club meeting. To be good in this business, you need to listen to everyone and everything. If you only have a certain amount of time, you have to pick your spots. For shareholders of GE Healthcare, Radnet was a real good spot. Let's see what they say on Friday. Bottom line, I don't know if the rosy U from NVIDIA has staying power for next week. Long weekend. But there are plenty of good companies here that can carry a torch for the averages. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, my father-in-law thinks all cryptocurrency is complete nonsense. Last night, he went so far as to tell me Bitcoin's current price is indicative of wildly speculative fervor, whatever that means. Personally, I think Bitcoin's going to $100,000 and I'm buying more. My question is, will Coinbase continue to rise as we march towards the goes, uh, if, if, if Bitcoin goes in your uh, strategy the way that you think it is, yes, absolutely. I'm neither for nor against. I think that people who want to own Bitcoin should own Bitcoin. I, look, I'm not going to make a judgment. It's, it's made a lot of money for people. Jason in Florida. Jason. Hey, Jim, from the village of Florida. How are you? Thanks for taking I my call. I am good. How about you? I'm doing great. Listen, my wife and I have built a position in Netflix. We've ridden it down and now back up. Considering the consolidation in streaming, do you consider this a buy, sell, or a hold? I like Netflix very much. When I buy it right here, it's just had a very big run. Let's just wait for a pullback. This market is going to give us more pullbacks. We've been straight up. At this point, I'll wait for a pullback, or I just won't get it at all. Let's go to David in Kansas. David. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Calling from the home of the Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, love the Chiefs. Love the Chiefs. (laughs) Hey, uh, second-time caller, long-time club member. Good luck to you and the team on the annual meeting tomorrow. Thank Thank you you for all that you do. Um, Hey, questions on Coterra. I want to start a position, club name. Do I scale in next week? Just buy. Just buy. I got to tell you, when I listen to what uh, Tom Jordan was saying about how he's uh, diversifying, he's going right back to oil where where the action is. He he has that model. That model works. The stock should have been over to 27. It's a 26 low. Very inexpensive stock. I would pull the trigger Monday. At some point, we have to take off our NVIDIA-colored glasses. I think there are some opportunities that we can carry the torch for the averages next week. I'm ready to help you find them. I mean, buddy, could Exxon be the way to play this tape for those who think that the averages have gotten ahead of themselves? I'm digging down deep in the story. Then, after a powerful week on Wall Street with the bulls continuing the run, should investors maybe keep the faith on uh, Or could there some near-term turbulence be lurking? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. Then, Tangers continuing its U.S. expansion with a 39th location. I'm learning about the strength of retail and this terrific Greek that I've been behind now for probably close to 100%. Stay quick. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. that this market's maybe gotten ahead of itself, 
you should be thinking about owning a utility stock. This group had a nice run last year. It was at the end, after a long-term interest rates peak, remember? But they've sold off as the rates rebound in the new year, which brings me to Exelon, the nation's largest transmission and distribution utility, focused on the mid-Atlantic, but there's also some stuff in Illinois we'll talk about. These guys reported a solid quarter on Wednesday morning, two-cent earnings beat off 58-cent basis. Imagine giving us a bullish full-year forecast. Stock jumped more than 4% in response. Could that be just the beginning? Look, they're paying you. 4.2% yield, and while that's not as good as a CD, it ain't nothing. And by the way, CDs can't raise their distribution. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Calvin Butler. He's the president and CEO of Exelon. To learn more about the quarter where his company's headed, Mr. Butler, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to be with you. Thanks okay, for having so, me. Okay, so, Kevin, you were just in Philadelphia, my yes. hometown. You've yes. got a great uh, panel, but you've got you Baltimore, Washington, D.C. Yes. Tell me how, what's the state of the cities, first of all, before we drill down to the utilities? Yeah, first off, uh, the state of the cities is amazing. We always say the privilege and responsibility to serve some of the greatest cities across the U.S. is there. And they're growing. They're growing in different ways. So you see the revitalization of the urban core. Yeah. And that's what we enjoy. And we're parts of that community. So it's really good. Now, people come on our air a lot and they talk about the crisis commercial real estate. I've done my own work on this, but I, I'm going to defer to you. But let me just say my work says don't. Be careful to call things a crisis because some of these cities are growing and growth can cure crises. I think what you're finding is a rebalancing of the commercial real estate. People are converting some of that office space to condos and apartments. We are seeing, I can speak to Baltimore, we're seeing a reemergence of apartments and condos taking over old office buildings. And you see people wanting to come back into the city. But we have to do it in a balanced way, but it's happening. Well, are there buildings that you find that are, you're just shocked that the lights are out because they're not good enough to, you know, C-class, B-class buildings? Is that is the commercial real estate problem that bad? The commercial real estate is struggling, but it's it not struggling. that bad. Okay. It, when I tell you that people are selling and they may not be selling at the value that it once was, okay. but you can also recall when commercial real estate was really high. So I think it's a leveling off and the conversions are happening and people are moving back. Okay. Now, uh, I was disturbed because that, yeah. that something happened to your company. There's a, there's a one page five of your deck. 2023 commitments met everything. Excellence, deploy capex, earn consolidated ROE, deliver earnings, maintain strong balance. You're doing everything. And then you've got these different agencies in Illinois, one a rate case and then the other grid reliability. We want grid, we stand for grid reliability. And they rejected after, in one case, 1,000 people were involved in the presentations and an agency rejected your plan. I don't understand that. Well, neither do, no, <laughs> it was disappointing to say the least because it was an 11th month process. And to your point, we had over 1,000 people, over 10,000 requests for information we provided. We're meeting with staff. And then the commission spoke on December 14th, and it was a disappointing ruling. And I tell you, the most disappointing part was the citizens of Illinois are suffering. People are losing jobs. But having said that, we're recalibrating. We've heard from the commission, and we're willing to partner with them to move this forward. But it was a setback, and we've reset our expectations with them, and we're going to work with them. Well, you did say that it, it, you wrote, now lowering our earnings growth outlook is not a change we took. Like you, that was because yeah. of them, not anything you did, right? That's exactly did. right. We had to pull back $1.4 billion of distribution capital spend in Illinois alone. Wow. We shifted some to the, our other jurisdictions, which is the opportunity for Exelon because of our scale and size. But you can't pull that much capital out and not have an impact on your long-term earning growth. Yeah, 
know. I, well, I guess I didn't think that they, I, other than in California, I've never seen that happen where you just get shocked. Yeah. But I guess it can be part of the equation because I don't want to recommend people. You, you know, it already happened now, right. so you don't have to worry about it. But, right. But I didn't think you could have that level of, of what I would regard as be ir- irresponsibility of, uh, of government agencies, but that don't report to the people as much as I thought they did. Well, what you, what you, what I would tell you the biggest part we had two years ago, you and I talked about Illinois passing one of the most progressive pieces of legislation, yes. Climate Equitable and Jobs Act. So what you want to do is align your policy with your practice. Right. And what this showed was it wasn't a clear alignment or I didn't, we didn't understand what the commission really wanted despite all those meetings. Well, I spent a couple hours trying to figure it out today, so I just have to ask you because it just does not make any sense to me. Yeah. Now, here's something that is making sense to me, but I'm not sure I like it. There seems to be that we're seeing um, renewable energy getting sidelined, whether because of national security, right. whether because of um, we with, uh, with with electric vehicles, but also with uh, being deprioritized uh, for the utilities. Uh, renewable energy is Im- important and it must is. go on. It is. It, renewable energy is a priority. I think what you're also bumping up against is the affordability factor and the security and resiliency factor. So everyone wants a reliable, resilient grid, but they also want a secure grid. And as we go to ensure reliability and resilience, people are saying it's going to cost money. So you're saying, what is the pace of change that we can manage? And that's what we're doing right now. But the CEO of a major utility didn't necessarily expect that this is something they're going to have to deal with. No. It's another part of your job? Is that the way you look at it? I, I look at it as definitely a big part of the job. Big. We have to understand the shared vision of our jurisdictions and help them get there. And this is just part of the process. Okay, so uh, of Baltimore, of Washington, of Philadelphia, yeah. Of Chicago. I'm not going to ask you about teams, okay? okay. But in terms of, of, of economic growth yeah. and resurgence, yeah. every one of them, some more than others? Some definitely more than others. What we're seeing, and they're different, right? Because in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, right. what you're seeing is a commercial resurgence, right? right? Because of the naval yard development, the hydrogen hubs and that are going in. Now, my friend Brian Westbrook's developing a real big area there. Played exactly. Great, great for the birds. So you see that. And then you then you take it in Chicago. You see, Chicago Chicago has become the fifth largest market for data centers. So then you take it to Baltimore, along the uh, uh, riverfront of the water there, you have the Port Covington development. So all of those things are happening in different ways. And so that's where the utility plays a big partner in there, and we're, we're, we're seeing it and working it. Well, it's very exciting. And Thank I, you. I hope that the radiant she's listening to the show and say that and even I'm miffed because I can't figure it out. I like yeah. to figure it out. That's too hard for me. Yeah. That's Calvin Butler, President and CEO of Exxon EXC. That money's back after the break. Coming up, time to play Wait and See with the Fed. This week's earnings may have clues for interest rate watchers. Next. approach this market now that earnings season has made it clear the economy's in surprisingly strong shape. Don't forget the averages have had big runs, partially fueled by the idea that the Federal Reserve is going to bless us with multiple rate cuts this year. But you can't think that way, right? You don't get that many rate cuts when business is that robust. That's what I keep telling you. On the one hand, it's good that so many companies are making so much money. You can't complain about a strong earnings season. On the other hand, the Fed has zero incentive to lower interest rates unless the economy is deteriorating. And a lot of money managers were betting on aggressive rate cuts. They may be on the wrong side of the tracks. It's created a real quandary, especially given how well the stock market's been doing. 
We're in a pretty strange situation here with a little in the way of historical analogs, frankly. The Fed's raised interest rates relentlessly, and it just hasn't done that much to slow the economy, even as it's helped a great deal in terms of slowing inflation. That's good. So given that we're in uncharted waters, tonight I want to go off the charts with the help of Carolyn Broden. She's a brilliant technician who runs a trading room at ElliottWaveTrader.net and whose work you can find on X, formerly Twitter, at Queen of Fibs. I think she can help us get our bearings. Let's start with the S&P 500 cash weekly chart. As Broden sees it, this market's gotten a bit overextended on the upside. That's why she's throwing up the caution flag here if you're currently long the S&P. Back in November, she gave us some really bullish long-term par- targets for benchmark index, and we've already blown past the highest of those levels by well over 100 points. But remember, we've had quite a run, right? This is that pivot that I always talk about and how great things were when the Fed decided no more rate increases. If you remember, after the market bottom in October of last year, Broden ran her initial price targets off that low. Remember, she likes to measure past swings in a given security, then run them through the prism of Fibonacci numbers. The key series of numbers discovered by Leonardo Fibonacci. He's the medieval godfather of mathematics. These ratios show up all sorts of crazy places. Like in nature, snail shells, pine cones, the way flowers bloom. And for some incredibly inexplicable reason, they show up at key points in the stock charts. When it comes to technicals, you don't need to know why it works. You only need to know that it's got a pretty reliable track record, and that's what we care about. With the S&P, Broden projected out previous swings to 127.2% and 161.8%. Those are Fibonacci numbers, which gave her price targets of 4,743 and 4,918. Not bad, huh? We've now hit those levels, and we've gone through them. According to Broden, though, anytime we extend a prior price swing beyond that key 127.2% extension, we have to be mentally prepared for a possible downside correction because this is the level where rallies often exhaust themselves. Sure enough, when the S&P hit that first target, we did get a meaningful pullback before the market came roaring back. Now we've gone through the second price target, too, meaning the risk of a pullback could be higher. So, in other words, we hit this target, we could have... a back to there. Well, let's listen to what more she has to say. That said, Broden came up with one more price target. This one based off a swing from the lows in October of 2022. It's got to go all the way back here. All right. Uh, This is based off of a 127.2% extension of the decline into that low, and it would take the S&P to 5,179. Remember, these are... uh, Fibonacci extensions. You only, remember, you only need to know that they work. You don't need to know how she figured 127. S&P 5179 would be a major move. That's up less than 100 points from where it's currently trading, but I'll take it. Again, Broden says the 127.2 extension levels represent places where the index is more likely to sell off. So maybe we keep climbing until there before the S&P needs to cool. And that's why she thinks it's a good idea to ring the register on some of your winners up here, just in case we do get a correction in the not-too-distant future. This is something we talked about with club members all week ahead of our meeting tomorrow. Now, take a look at this daily chart of the S&P 500 with two key indicators. The five-day exponential moving average, that's the EMA, and the 13-day exponential moving average, that's the red one, EMA. Broden likes to look at these two lines for buy and sell tw- triggers. Broadly speaking, when the five days above the 13-day, it means buy. When the 13 days above the five-day, it means sell. Okay. Now, in terms of the S&P, we got a bullish crossover here on November 3rd, and since then, there was only a single day where the 13-day went above the five-day, but that turned out to be a head fake. In short, if you follow, by, uh, follow Broden's favorite buy target, it's kept you on the right side of this market for months now. 
And fortunately, these two moving averages tell her that we're still in bullish territory. So even though she's feeling cautious up here, she doesn't want to get too negative. But she still is cautious, and I'll tell you why. I want you to check out the current daily chart of the S&P. Broden notes that the index has also gotten very extended on the daily chart. <coughs> and you can see that. We all know this, right? Reaching new high after, uh, new high, uh, after that magnificent earnings report from NVIDIA. She's now watching a cluster of five Fibonacci timing cycles, five sets of dates where the S&P is more likely to change its trajectory given the duration of past swings. At the moment, we've got five of these Fibonacci timing cycles coming due between now and early next week. The dates fall between today and next Monday. Uh-oh, plus or minus a day. It's a little little tight, huh? Given that the S&P's traded straight up this period, Broden's watching for a possible reversal here. However, if we do get this pullback, she says she wants to buy on weakness as long as the five-day exponential, again, the blue, right, uh, stays above the 13-day, as I demonstrated in the previous chart. Once we get a bearish crossover, then she has to recommend that you flee. Other than the S&P, Broden's checking out some other things. She's looking at a setup in the iShares Russell 2000 ETF, the IWM, which tracks the small cap index. Here she spotted a powerful floor of support running from 195 to 196. Very tight. Okay. 195, 96. Uh, We tested those levels a week and a half ago, and they came pretty close to it again earlier this week. But both times the floor of support held. Okay. That's good news. She also likes the fact that the daily moving averages favor the bulls. The Russell 2000 is trading above its 200-day simple moving average and its 50-day moving average, while the 5- to 13-day exponential moving average combos in buy territory. lot to like here. Where could it go? Right now, the Russell 2000 ETF is just at under $200, okay? As long as that floor of support at 196 holds, well, guess what? She thinks it could go to 207. That would be a very nice move. Solid risk reward there. Oh, hey, and let's not forget about NVIDIA after that gargantuan gain yesterday in response to yet another stunning quarter. Take a look at the daily chart. Using Baroden's Fibonacci methodology, NVIDIA is currently bumping up against a few more upside targets that it hasn't yet cleared. She thinks the next stop could be 824, where the stock nearly went to today before pulling back or even then maybe going to 881. As long as all the moving averages remain bullish on the daily chart, she thinks she can keep buying this one to weakness. Of course, I say just own it. Don't trade it. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Carolyn Baroden suggest the rally in the SP 500 is getting temporarily overextended, even as the overall picture remains bullish. She's expecting some near-term turbulence. So you got to be prepared. I want to go to Anthony in New York. Anthony. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking my call. Oh, you're quite welcome, Anthony. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Good, um, good. My company I'm calling about is SoFi Technologies. Last quarter, the fourth quarter of last year, first ever profitable quarter. <coughs> Management is forecasting profitability for the rest of 2024 and beyond. They have a SoFi Stadium, the L.A. Stadium named after them. They just signed an NBA contract for a multi-year contract to be the sole bank of the NBA. What is with the short interest? Help me understand. Okay, well, there are people who are betting against Anthony Noto, and I've got to tell you, that's a sucker's bet. Last, uh, last year in May, stocks at four, I looked him right in the eye. I said, Anthony, I've known you for like 30 years, and you've never let me down. Is this thing really in trouble? He goes, not at all. As a matter of fact, this is time to buy. It was exactly right. The stock then doubled. And then, it, then it went up again, and then it overextended. I think went a little too high. It's pulled back, and it's at a great level to buy. What can I say? I'm with you. Let's go to Rob in New York, please. Rob. Hey, Jim, I must say you are the man. I, I tell everyone how you make us money. Well, you did it again big time this week. 
Okay, everyone was, a lot of people out there were saying, oh, if the NVIDIA goes down, we're, oh, this could be a big crash. But with your steady hand, you made me a boatload again. I mean, I, I, last time well, I said you happy birthday, but I'm, I'm just telling you what you're doing for me. Okay? I'm humbled. I'm humbled. Uh, at, like the great Rodney Harrison said, Jim, you made some great calls. And some bad calls, but I did make some good calls. And I thank you, you really for that. I, I thank you for that. You know, I'm going into writing all night tonight because I have my annual meeting tomorrow and for yes. the, the investing club. And I'm thrilled to hear you say that because what it does is gives me the conviction. I got to keep on keeping on. And I thank you so much for those words. How can I help you now? Okay, so let's talk about a stock that has the highest analyst price target is 96 and the lowest is 62. 60% of this company's expenses are labor. And soon with AI, these cars will drive themselves. So the collection of data is an AI lift, no pun intended, to this company, Uber. Okay, so Rob, I think the AI uh, angle, I mean, look, they have a great app and, and it gets better and better. I, I would tell you that the secret sauce of this company is unbelievable management. Uh, and they, they pivoted very early on to making money. And I think it's just a very, I just finished up a chapter about them for some, something else I'm writing. And I got to tell you, I agree, couldn't agree with you more. I think Uber goes higher. All right, listen up. The charts is interpreted by Carolyn Baroden suggests that the round of the SP 500 is getting temporarily overextended, even as the overall picture remains bullish. Maybe raise some cash here. She's expecting some near term turbulence, so be prepared. Might much more made money, including my Susan with a real red hot read. That's Tanger. If reporting a top and bottom line beat for the fourth quarter, I'm learning what's working for the retail REIT with the CEO. Then the Fed watchers need to stop looking at the big picture. They got to stop it, stop it, stop with the big picture macro numbers and start looking at the individual companies. I'm sharing the cops calls I recently read this week because they're just, look, I burned my eyes all week with these cops calls. Everyone else is looking at these aggregate figures. They're wrong. I got to tell you, the real numbers are at the company level. And of course, we'll take all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. With all the focus on the mega caps, a lot of great quarters, but they end up getting ignored every earnings season. Take Tanger, the real estate investment trust, formerly known as Tanger Factory Outlet Centers. They're the largest operator of these great open-air outlet centers in the country. I always like this one because it's the kind of retail story that appeals to more bargain-oriented consumers. Sure enough, when Tanger reported last week, it delivered a nice top and bottom line beat with management giving us a very strong full-year forecast. This has become an impressive growth story with accelerating lease momentum and some big new properties coming online, like the opening of their new Nashville location. In response, the stock jumped more than 3%, but if business stays as strong, I think it'll have more room to run. This has long been one of my favorites. So let's check in with Stephen Yalf. He's the president and CEO of Tanger. Get a better sense of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Yalf, welcome back to Man Money. Great, great to be here. Okay, so Stephen, last time we talked to you, the excitement was Nashville. I didn't know that there were two other Vills coming. Nashville, Asheville, and Huntsville. This is where people are going now. These are destinations for the rest of the country. That's right. You know, we're looking for markets that not only have great permanent population and growing po- population, we're also looking for places that have great tourism. And Asheville, what a great tourist city. Amazing. So we're excited to be there. Uh, now, can you generate, an, are there enough people with enough incomes to be able to make it so the stores do well? Well, you know, first of all, 12 million people a year coming through Asheville, which is a pretty staggering number. Biltmore, which is this unbelievable draw, a huge attraction, over a million people a year just coming to Biltmore alone. 
So people are coming for the food, they're coming for the music, they're coming for the great attractions, they're staying for the shopping. And you know, don't forget, it's a great big local catchment area there, so we get to serve as that local mall. Now that. in the old days when we went to outlet malls, it was always just kind of the, it was the stuff that nobody could sell and it was the stores that nobody wanted in the mall. I am looking at your names and thinking, these are premium companies, why are they going to Tanger? Well, the brands are getting better and they're getting stronger. Right. And, you know, with the uh, with online shopping, it's important for a lot of these brands to also have a full price presence. And with a lot of the excess inventory, Outlet's a great place to clear, regardless of category that you're shopping in. So it's a great platform. It's a platform that's growing. And we have a lot of new tenants that are entering the business through our channel. And we're growing them throughout our portfolio. I also find, uh, having just been caught in Florida in the rain, when I'm in, look, when it's raining where I am, it's Riverhead. When I'm raining with my, with my other side of my family, it's Rehoboth. These are places where there is nothing to do if it's raining other than to go to you. I mean, is that playing out of the... The, the, the retailers must love it. Well, you know, we, we hate to we hate to pray for rain on a right. on a sunny weekend in the, during the summertime. But when the clouds come out, so do the cars, and that's an amazing thing. And a lot of the geographies where we are: Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, Rehoboth, Daytona. We love beach communities. We love the South, and we've had a lot of success. Uh, year-round, not just during the summer months. Now, the whole time uh, when Steve was running the place, the, rate, the, the occupancy rate is always just incredibly high. What is the right level? I mean, I think people, someone might say, oh, they're not 100% on one that. I don't want 100% because if someone comes along who's really big, I wouldn't have room for them. But what's the right occupancy level? Because I know you can determine that yourself. Well, that's right. I mean, frictional vacancy is critical, and we try right. to fill it with temporary leases. When we have a temporary tenant in a space, that gives us control. It gives us the opportunity to get that space back if we want to re-merchandise and bring in another tenant. You know, so we've been repurposing a lot of that temp tenant, raising our permanent occupancy base. But more importantly, if there's every year leases roll, we have renewals every single year. And that's a great opportunity and a good source for us to grow the portfolio, keep on bringing in fresh tenants, keep on constantly you know, recycling older, less productive tenants with newer and more productive tenants that also draw in a younger customer, a customer that comes and shops us more frequently, and more importantly, they spend more money when they're there. But Stephen, also, I, this is something I didn't know. I have a background in retail. I didn't know this. There are companies that like to use a, a store to see if it works, and if it works, they'll build out. I mean, that's actually happening experimental? Well, we think that there's a lot of barriers to entry for a lot of brands to get into the outlet space. You don't know when you open your first outlet store if you've got 10 weeks or 10 years worth of excess inventory. So we like to work with a lot of these retailers to give them the opportunity to try essentially before they buy. We call them pop-ups. And a lot of the pop-ups that we've done, here's a couple of brands that we've popped up that have been pretty good success stories. Ugg, Lululemon, um, uh, Vineyard Vines, just to name a few. But now they have stores across our portfolio. Okay, I, if you had told me that Huntsville was what, the Rocket City, I mean, look, Huntsville, I, frankly, I had no idea that, that there would be an 825,000 square foot air life. I mean, I'm missing something here. There's a lot of us who are missing. But what parts of the country are next? Well, I think that that's important. You know, the part that you're missing is the part that there's these secondary markets that since COVID, people are now moving into different this geographies. This is it. A lot of people are moving out of cities. They're looking for secondary markets, places for them to live. Tax, tax rates are a lot better. The uh, business climate is a lot better for a lot of folks. People are working out of their homes or just moving into these communities and they're growing and they're growing in leaps and bounds. So here you have Huntsville, which has always been known as Rocket City. Right. NASA has a community there. What we're finding is that the residential population is outsized and growing really quickly as well. 
And then one of the things, of course, we have to focus on, the Fed keeps raising rates. I am not seeing the kind of slowdown. Look, they want to stop inflation, but they don't want to stop economic growth. The, the state of the consumer is pretty strong. Well, I, we're seeing that, too. And we see sales are continuing to happen in our portfolio. But more importantly, we're on sale every day. Right. So, you know, regardless yeah, of the economic headwinds, you know what Mr. Tanger likes to say, but regardless of the economic headwinds. In good we, times. There's always, a, there's always a customer that's always willing to shop out. The quality of the product is very good. It's the brands people love. And you can't beat the prices. Okay, every so, single day. All right. So I'm going to leave it. Should I tell my wife the, 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 the Nashville trip? <laughs> the next trip, the next ladies trip is to Huntsville? Is that the way it's working? I think, it, I think that would work. So you go Huntsville or, or Asheville. You know, either <laughs> yeah. one. We're happy to, I learned we're happy a lot from you. Anyway. I mean, it was always, look, when I was coming, it was always New Orleans or nothing. These are much cooler cities. Well, I've got to tell you, you have taught me a, a great deal. And I am just so impressed by the stocks movement. It was no secret that it would go up. I just didn't know it would be this much of a rocket like Huntsville. Oh, Stephen Yelv is the CEO of Tanger. This is one great stock. It money's back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time for the lightning round. Crazy man. We'll start with Hutch in New Jersey. Hutch. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Hutch. How about you? Good. I'm, I'm looking. To, I purchased uh, SMG about two years ago. I okay. have a pretty large stake in it. I was wondering your thoughts on that. I use their product and you know I'm a big gardener. It'll be like my, my, my 38th garden. But here's my concern. If the weather's not good, Scott's Miracle Grow doesn't do well enough and therefore I cannot recommend the stock. Let's go to George in Massachusetts. George. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, I own stock in an, an electrical infrastructure company. And I mentioned it to you, to you a few months ago when you said you thought it would be good. Uh, since then, the stock, the company has reported a 53% increase in revenue, and the stock price has doubled. So what do you think now of Powell Industries? I know, I got that one right. But I got to tell you, up and double, I got to go and huddle with Ben Stoto and think that maybe we should be doing some selling. I got to come back to you. I don't know. After this level, it, it's, it's crazy. I got to find out what's going on. There are some crazy stocks out there. Let's go to Scott in Delaware. Scott. Hi, Jim. Uh, c- calling about Abbott Exchange, ABDX, 24-year-old company, went public a couple years ago, experiencing about 20 per- 20% year-to-year growth. They're becoming a dominant player in the business-to-business invoice and payment industry. Well, it's a tough industry. I know it's had a big run. I have historically uh, I've been positive in that industry and turned on late because the multiples have gotten too high. Except for I do like FICO very much. We'll look at, we'll do more work on it, though. I don't know. I haven't exchanged enough to be able to say that. That's two I don't know well enough, but that's the way it is. Let's go to uh, Raphael in New Jersey. Raphael. Hey, Jim. How are you tonight? I am good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Beautiful sunset here in New Jersey. You're deck of the woods, I hope. Me too. <laughs> go ahead. What's up? What's up? I hear mixed uh, things about Live Nation. I'm a musician and I like the stock. 
but I'm not sure where it's going with this. No, no, the stock is, this is going to be another great year for them. I mean, they really, are, they're actually so well ahead of plan that I was shocked. Rapino's really good. I know it was on another show today. It didn't hurt my feelings one bit because, you know, I love them. It's completely unrequited. I thought I did everything I wanted, but it does not bother. I'm not, I'm not bothered. What? Let's go to Tim in Ohio. Tim. <laughs> Jimmy Chill, what's up? Uh, I'm just chilling. I'm just chilling like usual. Let's, you know, what's going on with you? Hey, I'm I'm doing good, man. I want to know what your take is on Parsons Corp. Yes. Okay, so Parsons is one of a couple of infrastructure stocks that I look at myself and think, why did I not have it? I've been the most biggest bull on infrastructure. This is a great company. And I've known Parsons. I've actually known this company for 50 Anyway, I missed it. My bad, but I think you can go higher. AECOM, not as good. I like that. J, not as good. I like that. Let's go to John. Uh, by the way, PWR, that's the best of all, okay? Let's go to John in Kentucky. John. Hey, Jim. Hey, John. It's John from Kentucky. Oh, uh, man, I, you I, must I, be lucky. What's up? Oh, I've got an a, a energy stock I'm interested in. It's in okay. the... Uh, Ohio Basin is a gas play. It's called EQT Corp. I know, Toby. I know the company. I'm not going to go there. I'll tell you why. Because I am a Kotara man through and through. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Fed watchers need to stop staring at the big picture macro numbers and start taking a hard look at the Cofscore transcripts of the companies that reported just this last week. Because if you're paying any attention to earnings, you wouldn't be trying to guess when the Fed's going to cut rates. You'd be hoping the Fed won't have to raise them again. Let me walk you some, through some of the reports I read this week that shows you that things are heating up, not slowing down in the economy. Let's start with Royal Caribbean, the stock that was the best, third best performer in the S&P 500 last year. Do you know that? After NVIDIA and Meta, it was Royal. You'd think this cruise line stock would cool off in 2024 after all these rate hikes. Uh, and it had until this week when Royal Caribbean shockingly raised its full year guidance significantly. Now, that in itself is huge. But even more impressive, the guidance hike came just three weeks after they reported earnings. Things are so much better than expected. They had to change the forecast after three weeks. Not something that happens when interest rates are hurting the consumer, does it? Uh-uh. How about Live Nation? The live entertainment colossus. CEO Michael Rapino talked about, quote, shows that are flying out the door from top to bottom, end quote. According to its CFO, they are seeing, quote, strong demand at all price points, end quote. Spending on amphitheater tickets is insane. Real good for Live Nation, real bad for inflation. The consumer seems to have no resistance at all to these higher ticket prices. I know booking holdings in the old price line saw its stock get pulverized today, down 10%. But they're seeing travel growing in 11 to 12% clip. That's not too shabby. Business would be much, much better for not for the war in the Middle East. I think people didn't account for that the way they should have. Oh, and you heard the bull case in outlet malls from Stephen Yaloff earlier, the CEO of Tanger. Wow, incredible strength. And that's national. What else? Block, the fintech artist formerly known as Square, reported acceleration online gross payment volumes up 11% year over year, while buy now, pay later was up 25%. The company has 23 million monthly active users for its cash card, and the spending is fierce. We had the CEO of Builders First Source, the home building supply company, on the show last night. And he talked about the red-hot national housing market. So did Toll Brothers earlier this week. Toll put up astounding numbers, selling million-dollar homes with improving gross margins. Shouldn't their margins be going lower if the Fed raises rates? I mean, that's what you'd expect, but it's not happening, even as home prices remain up 46% from 2019. That is wrong. How can that Fed possibly cut in this environment. Hey, if you really want to be impressed, take a look at all the spending by the small, medium-sized business owners who use Intuit. 
Total online payment growth was 20%. So many companies are being created and so few are failing. The superlatives on spend never stopped on that conference call. Same with Hyatt Hotels reported this morning. They also looked for 38 cents of earnings per share. They got 64 cents. Individuals were traveling like made Corporate events up 8%. The business travel is coming back. No wonder the stock shot up more than 10% today. Think about these segments. Homes, extremely strong. Small business, incredibly strong. Retail, amazing. Cruises, amazingly hot. Entertainment, perhaps the best it's ever been. Is anything weaker? Used car prices or increases are moderating, according to Carvana. Same with processed food. But to actually be down, only natural gas, which is important because so many homes are heated by it. But let's be realistic. The vast majority of inputs to the consumer price index are flashing red, not green. No time to cut. A good time for the Fed to reassess the policy of hinting at the number of rate cuts we're going to get this year. Just a heck of a lot better to say we hope we can get a cut in or two. But we understand the prices for most goods aren't coming down, and the economy is fine, so there's no need to be aggressive. Instead, the Fed should just say, we got to wait and see. I like to say, as always, a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.